Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 12th. In today's news, Jimmy Carter is in the hospital for a brain procedure. Deval Patrick is laying the groundwork to run for president. And an Israeli airstrike on Gaza just killed a senior jihadist leader. But first, the big idea. The White House's bifurcated and disjointed response to the impeachment inquiry has been fueled by a battle between acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. Mulvaney has urged aides not to comply with the inquiry and blocked any cooperation with congressional Democrats. Top political aides at the Office of Management and Budget, which Mulvaney previously led, have fallen in line with his defiant, stonewalling stance. Mulvaney's office blames Cipollone for not doing more to stop other government officials from participating in the impeachment inquiry, as a number of State Department officials, diplomats, and even an aide to Vice President Pence have given sworn testimony before Congress. Cipollone, meanwhile, has fumed that Mulvaney only made matters worse with that October 17th news conference when he publicly acknowledged a quid pro quo, essentially confirming Democratic accusations in front of television cameras. Cipollone did not want Mulvaney to hold that news conference, a message that was passed along to the acting chief of staff's office, according to two senior Trump advisors. But a Mulvaney aide says a team of White House lawyers prepared him for the news conference and never said he shouldn't do it. Neither Mulvaney nor Cipollone has broad experience navigating a White House through such a tumultuous period, but their actions have contributed to the government's increasingly tenuous response to the impeachment inquiry, as public hearings are set to begin tomorrow. Despite the high stakes, the White House has moved slowly to hire a staff specifically dedicated to working on the issue, a concern that's been expressed to the White House by several Republican senators. Another dispute that has meant Mulvaney and Cipollone are hardly on speaking terms emerged over the potential hiring of former Congressman Trey Gowdy, the Republican from South Carolina who made a name for himself leading the GOP's inquest into the handling of the Benghazi massacre in 2012. Mulvaney advocated for hiring his former House colleague and longtime friend, but Cipollone was strongly opposed. Some Hill Republicans, more aligned with Mulvaney, were not pleased and have accused Cipollone of being territorial behind the scenes. They wanted Gowdy to lead the cross-examination for Trump in the Senate, a role Cipollone is said to want for himself. Trump has complained about his legal team to White House officials and advisors in recent weeks, saying they need to be much more aggressive in defending him. At the same time, Trump has also been complaining about Mulvaney, blaming him for his political troubles and toying with the idea of replacing him. It hasn't helped that Republicans on Capitol Hill are talking about trying to make Mulvaney the fall guy to save the president. It's created a very tense atmosphere in the West Wing. Some administration officials complain that Cipollone has not kept Mulvaney and other White House offices in the loop on key decisions. Cipollone's office, for example, released that transcript of the July 25th phone call with Trump and his Ukrainian counterpart. That was a move that Mulvaney apparently, according to Mulvaney's people, opposed. Neither the acting chief of staff nor some members of the White House press office knew in advance that the call was going to be released. And now the breaking news overnight is that Mulvaney has withdrawn a last-minute effort to join a lawsuit filed by former National Security Advisor John Bolton's top deputy, Charlie Kupperman. Mulvaney said he will file his own lawsuit focused on the same underlying question. Must he testify as part of Congress's impeachment inquiry? Amazingly, what that means is that Trump is listed as a co-defendant in a lawsuit brought by the White House chief of staff. 
This is historically unprecedented. Kupperman, in a filing earlier in the day on Monday, opposed Mulvaney's request to join his lawsuit, also seeking a determination about whether he should comply with the White House order not to testify or a valid congressional subpoena to appear. The two former national security aides, Bolton and Kupperman, are very angry that Mulvaney tried to join their lawsuit. They were caught off guard by it. They perceive Mulvaney as a key participant in Trump's alleged conspiracy to coerce the Ukrainian government to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden. Bolton aides have testified in recent weeks before Congress that the former national security advisor derisively referred to the Ukrainian proposal as a drug deal. And White House officials say that Bolton and Mulvaney were barely on speaking terms when Bolton was pushed out of his post in September. Three new deposition transcripts were released last night that also undercut a key line of defense that Trump and his aides have been using. Senior U.S. officials told House impeachment investigators that Ukrainian leaders were well aware that nearly $400 million in congressionally approved security assistance had been frozen before that information became public. Trump and his defenders have argued that the administration couldn't have leveraged the security assistance to procure a pledge from Kiev to investigate his political rivals because they say Ukrainian officials didn't know the money was being withheld. So it couldn't have been a quid pro quo. They said that Ukraine didn't find out until late August when Politico reported it was being held up. But according to sworn testimony from Catherine Croft, a Ukraine specialist in the State Department, the Ukrainians found out very early on that the funds had been frozen. They found out closer to July 18th when the OMB put the hold at Trump's behest on the money. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, former President Jimmy Carter was hospitalized late last night for an emergency procedure to relieve growing pressure on his brain. This pressure was triggered by bleeding in the brain caused by some recent falls. And the procedure is scheduled for later this morning. He's at Emory University Hospital right now with his wife, Rosalind, waiting for the operation to begin. Last month, Carter was hospitalized with a minor pelvic fracture after falling in his Georgia home. The 95-year-old fell on October 6th, just days before his birthday, and required stitches above his left eyebrow. He's our longest living former president. Number two. Former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, who's been cashing in at Bain Capital since leaving office in 2015, is seriously considering a last-minute entry to the presidential race. Patrick called Joe Biden last week, and he's been talking on the phone with other Democratic officials to tell them that he's seriously considering such a move. He's been saying he doesn't think any of the candidates have established enough momentum to win and unite liberals and moderates. Patrick and some of his top advisors had a meeting on Sunday at his house in Boston to discuss what a campaign would look like. The New York Times was the first to report on that meeting, but we've confirmed that it happened. As one of the first and really only black governors in U.S. history, he could prove really formidable in South Carolina, where more than half of the Democratic electorate will be African-American. If he's to compete in New Hampshire, though, in the first primary, he needs to decide before Friday. That's the filing deadline to appear on the ballot in February. No exceptions. That will force his hand, or I guess he could always skip New Hampshire. But a new Quinnipiac University poll released yesterday shows that no one really is in a truly commanding position, especially in New Hampshire. Joe Biden's at the top of the pack, but only 20% of Democratic primary voters up in New Hampshire back him, compared to 16% for Elizabeth Warren, 15% for Pete Buttigieg, and 14% for Bernie Sanders. No other candidates come into double digits in the poll, and most people say they're still willing to change their mind. 
That's a fluid race, and that's why Patrick is looking into it. Number three, big news from Jerusalem overnight. Israeli security forces killed a senior leader of the militant Palestinian group Islamic Jihad in a targeted airstrike in the Gaza Strip at around 4.30 a.m. local time. That sparked a rain of retaliatory rocket fire from the enclave, and it's raising fears of escalating reprisals. Warning sirens sounded in multiple Israeli population centers, including Tel Aviv, sending thousands to shelters as rockets struck highways, buildings, and vehicles. Schools, workplaces, and public transportation were canceled in large areas of south and central Israel. More than 50 rockets were launched, and at least one residence and an office building were hit, according to the army. The army says that 20 rockets have been intercepted. Several minor injuries were reported, including an eight-year-old girl who was reportedly in stable condition after losing consciousness during the barrage. In Syria, meanwhile, state media reports an attack about the same time struck the house of a second leader of Palestinian Jihad who's living in Damascus. Those reports say that leader, Akram al-Juri, was not injured, but his son and one other person was killed while 10 more were wounded. Israel is declining to confirm that second report. But in Gaza, Israeli defense forces say they targeted Baha Abu al-Ada, the commander who is responsible for several previous rocket launches and has been blamed for some recent attacks on Israelis. The Israelis say they needed to act because they had intelligence saying that his next attack was imminent. In a statement, the group Palestinian Islamic Jihad confirms that Abu al-Ada and his wife were killed. Abu al-Ada's profile has been rising recently. In fact, one Israeli general was quoted just last week calling him a greater threat emanating from Gaza than Hamas. The overnight action was approved by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, but Benny Gantz, the former army chief of staff who's now the head of a major political party trying to form a coalition government to replace Bibi, was also informed in advance and brought into the loop about the operation, and he's issued a statement of support. The Israeli army is mobilizing and bracing for days of hostilities and preparing for widespread retaliation. So keep an eye on the region. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 12th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.